Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The NYPD is searching for the renter of a U-Haul truck in connection with the Brooklyn subway shooting. Police say the suspect has ties to Wisconsin and Philadelphia. The battle for the city of Mariupol possibly coming to an end. Russia says many Ukrainian Marines have surrendered, while Ukraine's president proposes a prisoner swap. The invasion of Ukraine is motivating Russia's neighbor Finland to consider joining NATO. And in Sweden, more than half of the population favors the same choice for their country. The Secretary of State says the Chinese regime continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang province. He calls out the Chinese Communist Party's mass campaign of repression and genocide against the Uyghur ethnic minority. Police have identified a suspect in the shooting that took place in Brooklyn on Tuesday. The gunman fired at least 33 bullets inside a rush hour subway train. The New York City Police Department says they've identified a suspect in Tuesday's subway train shooting. He is the renter of a U-Haul van abandoned on a highway in Brooklyn. The male who we believe is the renter of this U-Haul in Philadelphia is a Frank R. James male 62 years old with addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. We are endeavoring to locate him to determine his connection to the subway shooting, if any. The shooting occurred Tuesday morning during rush hour on a Manhattan-bound N train. The gunman set off a smoke canister and fired his gun at least 33 times, causing serious injuries to 10 people. New York Police Commissioner Kishant Sewell described the suspect. He is being reported as a male black, approximately 5 feet 5 inches tall with a heavy build. He was wearing a green construction type vest and a hooded sweatshirt. The color is gray. Sewell said no motive has been established for the shooting. There are currently no known explosive devices on our subway trains, and this is not being investigated as an act of terrorism at this time. We can also report that although this was a violent incident, reportedly we have no one with life-threatening injuries as a result of this case. One of the victims recalled the scene from his hospital bed. All you see is like a smoke, black smoke bomb going off, and then, and then people bum rushing to the back. This pregnant woman was in front of me. I was trying to help her. I didn't know there were shots at first. I just thought it was a black smoke bomb. She said, I'm pregnant with a baby. I hugged her, and then the bum rush continued. I got pushed, and that's when I got shot in the back of my knee. Police also found at the scene a 9mm handgun, consumer-grade fireworks, and keys to the abandoned van. Investigators believe the shooter's weapon jammed, preventing further shots from being fired. The Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives is tracking down the gun's manufacturer, seller and original owner. Some New Yorkers are horrified by Tuesday's shooting in a Brooklyn subway station, but others say they won't change their travel habits. Tuesday's shooting in a subway station in Brooklyn sent shockwaves through New York City. Many said they would be more cautious about riding the subway from now on. I mean, definitely got to think twice about it, 100 percent. You know, you got to think twice because, I mean, what happened today, definitely didn't want nothing to happen to my child or anybody else's child. That's, it's uh, definitely, you know, scary. My grandpa would take us on the train to go to Manhattan on different places, but this does actually make me think twice of going to the subway. The gunfire broke out on a train pulling into a station in the Sunset Park neighborhood. The community is about 15 minutes from Manhattan. 
primarily home to Hispanics and Asians. I see the news, everything is going bad and bad and bad. So hopefully they do something, just try to save people. It's a lies like today. It's too early to do this. It's bad. Sometimes I feel very afraid. I told you about the situation. Yeah, when I take it straight. I don't feel comfortable anyway. I don't feel comfortable. I feel more comfortable or I take it the bus. Yeah, I take it the bus. The shooting occurred at the bustling 36th Street subway station. Authorities shut down more than a dozen city blocks in their investigation and cordoned off the area with yellow crime scene tape. But some residents say life has to go on. That's like really unfortunate, but uh, I don't think it'll change my habits or anything, so. I mean, I feel on that, when it happens, yeah, you feel a little bit anxious and worry about the concerns and all the situation that it's happened and all the crimes, but I feel like at the end of the day, you just have to do what you have to do to get to work. We're in a big city. Uh, there's always something happening in New York uh, on any given day on any given weekend, and it's not gonna stop me from ever riding the train again. The pandemic stopped me really from riding the train, more so than this incident. At least 29 people were treated at hospitals for gunshot wounds, smoke inhalation, and other conditions. Five are in critical but non-life-threatening condition. The battle for the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol may be reaching a decisive phase. Russia says Ukrainian Marines who were holed up in an industrial district have surrendered. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Russia's defense ministry said Wednesday that over a thousand Ukrainian soldiers have surrendered in Mariupol. 1,026 Ukrainian soldiers of the 36th Marine Brigade voluntarily laid down arms and surrendered. NTD couldn't independently confirm the surrender. Ukraine's defense ministry spokesman said he had no information about it and there is no immediate comment from the Ukrainian president's office. On Monday, a post on the brigade's Facebook page has said the unit was preparing for a final battle that would end in death or capture because its troops had run out of ammunition. Some Ukrainian officials said at the time that the post may have been fake and that troops were still holding out. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky Wednesday proposed swapping a pro-Russian politician for Ukrainian prisoners of war. I propose to the Russian Federation to exchange this guy of yours for our boys and our girls who are now in Russian captivity. It is therefore important that our law enforcement and military also consider this possibility. Ukraine's security services said Tuesday they'd arrested pro-Russian politician Viktor Medvedchuk. He's Russian leader Vladimir Putin's closest and most influential ally in Ukraine. Earlier, Zelensky published this photo of a tired-looking and handcuffed Medvedchuk, who says Putin is godfather to his daughter. In February, Kiev said Medvedchuk had escaped from house arrest after authorities opened a treason case against him last year. Medvedchuk denies wrongdoing. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is expected to announce another $750 million in military assistance for Ukraine. That's according to Reuters, which cited two unnamed U.S. officials. We reached out to the White House for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The presidents of Poland, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia have arrived in Kyiv for talks with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. That's according to the Polish leader's office. A number of European politicians visited the Ukrainian capital this month. It comes after Russian troops were driven out of the country's north. A spokesman for the Estonian president says the meeting will focus on ways to assist Ukraine's civilians and military. 
Also on the table is the investigation into war crimes. For security concerns, the four presidents' offices declined to provide details of the trip. German President Frank-Walter Steinmeier had also planned a visit to Kyiv, but according to German media, his request was rejected by Zelensky due to his close ties with Russia in recent years. Prior to the meeting in Kyiv, U.S. President Joe Biden said Moscow's invasion of Ukraine amounts to genocide. But Russian leader Vladimir Putin said Russia will continue its actions and achieve its goals, quote, rhythmically and calmly. A court in Munich has sentenced a Russian spy to a one-year suspended sentence. He was found guilty of passing secrets about the European space program to Moscow while working at a German university. From November 2019 to June 2021, the 30-year-old scientist worked as a research assistant at Augsburg University in Germany. During that time, he also shared information with the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, SVR. The court says he handed over information about research projects in the field of aerospace technology in exchange for money. That included the European Union's Ariane space rocket program. The defendant was contacted in the fall of 2019 by a vice consul at the Russian consulate in Munich, who also worked for the state security service. But the court says the defendant only passed on information from generally generally accessible sources, resulting in no state secrets being leaked. Boeing says it will likely lose about 90 jet orders due to geopolitical issues related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The aircraft maker said it's not canceling the orders just yet, but it's placed them in an accounting limbo it uses when there are doubts about the likelihood of completing jet orders on its books. Boeing disclosed it added 141 jets to that accounting classification last month. About two-thirds of those orders, or just over 90, are for 737 MAX jets that have been affected by the war in Ukraine and related economic sanctions. Sanctions are blocking any current aircraft sales to Russia. Boeing and other Western aircraft makers have also cut off the supply of needed spare parts and maintenance support for planes in Russia to comply with sanctions. The good news for Boeing, it had a net increase of 38 new orders in March. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is prompting Finland and Sweden to rethink life outside the NATO alliance. A majority of Finns, who share an 800-mile border with their Russian neighbors, already say they would sign up to the military alliance. Swedes are even more hesitant, but even there, nearly 60% would favor NATO membership, especially if Finland joins. Rachel Rizzo, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council think tank, says they would be knocking at a fairly open door. There are serious implications of of Finland especially joining NATO. I mean, this means that the total land border between NATO territory and Russia would more than double. Right now, it's around 754 miles. If Finland joins, it will be nearly 1,600 miles. And so that's a significant change. But I think that NATO allies understand how significant the Russian invasion of Ukraine is and what it means for Euro-Atlantic security. As close friends but non-members, technically Helsinki and Stockholm don't have the protection of NATO's guarantee that an attack on one ally is an attack on all. But they do regularly participate in defence training with NATO countries like Norway, and that brings certain benefits. If Sweden or Finland came under attack by Russia, 
I do think that the alliance would be ready to respond, even though those two countries are not yet members. They work so closely with NATO in terms of exercises. Both the Finnish and Swedish leaderships are reviewing their security policies and the prospect of life inside NATO. Finland will be ready in a matter of days. Swedish Foreign Minister Anne Lind told reporters recently that Stockholm is further behind. We are not there. Uh, we have the analysis. We are not going to make any decision without a thorough analysis. That's how we work in Sweden. Thank you. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has said it would be possible to allow Finland and Sweden in quite quickly. But the military alliance has not commented on what a fast-track process could look like or how soon. According to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, the Chinese Communist Party continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity against the Uyghur ethnic group. He accused the Chinese regime of continuing to do so throughout 2021. The Chinese government continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang against predominantly Muslim Uyghurs, among other minority groups. Blinken made this statement as part of a briefing marking the release of the newest edition of an annual report. It's called the Country Reports on Human Rights Practices. The State Department publishes it to cover human rights issues. It includes details on 198 countries across the world. Blinken asserts that there is a recession of democracy happening in the world, and he said what the Chinese regime is doing is a key example of growing authoritarianism. That is what Blinken calls its mass campaign of repression and genocide against the Uyghurs. The report also described the CCP as an authoritarian state, and it said religious and ethnic minorities are still being persecuted in mainland China and other territories that the regime occupies. And speaking of China, a new report outlines attempts to undercut U.S. space efforts. The Defense Intelligence Agency published the report. It describes how China and Russia would try to counter the advantage the U.S. has in space. A defense intelligence officer explains why. Russia and China, our primary strategic competitors, are taking steps to undercut the United States and our allies in the space domain. Both nations view space as a requirement for winning modern wars, especially against Western nations, and look to prove themselves as world leaders. A defense intelligence analyst also points to the two countries' combined assets in space. He said they've grown about 70% in only two years. He outlines their ambitions. Both nations seek to broaden their space exploration initiatives together and individually uh, with plans to explore the moon and Mars during the next 30 years. Uh, and if successful, these efforts will likely de- uh, lead to attempts by Beijing and Moscow to exploit the moon's natural resources. What's more, he said that Moscow is now developing a missile that is able to destroy satellites and space vehicles. Also on the topic of outer space, the director of Russia's space agency has threatened to end its relationship with NASA. That follows Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Roscosmos told NASA it will stop working with Canada, Europe, and Japan on space exploration if sanctions are not removed. We hear from former NASA engineer and manager Homer Hickam. He shares his perspective on whether Russia's war in Ukraine has affected Russia's ability to cooperate with the West on the International Space Station. Well, so far, uh, Kevin, it hasn't, but the um, 
the chief of the Russian space agency, uh, Mr. Rigojin, has threatened over and over and over again to pull away from the International Space Station because of uh, the sanctions that have been put on uh, on his country. He is a, um, a Putin insider. Um, he is uh, known for a lot of um, outrageous statements even before this war began. Most, um, most folks don't pay much attention to him. They don't think that um, his threats are serious. But there has been consideration within NASA on what to do in case the Russians do decide to pull away. And what steps would need to be taken to keep the International Space Station functioning in that event? Well, what the Russians are doing principally right now is providing uh, a boost into a high, higher, safer orbit. Uh, as big as the space station is, even at 200 miles uh, 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 in altitude, it still hits particles of the uh, atmosphere. And so gradually over a long period of time, it has slowed down and it would actually enter in the atmosphere and break up if it didn't occasionally get a boost. So the Russians have been doing that principally with their progress uh, supply ships. Uh, before it leaves, it uh, turns on its rocket engine and boosts the, uh, the space station up to a higher, safer orbit. Now, if they decide to pull away, if we decide that we want them to pull away, uh, we do have the capability now to go up and do that uh, uh, orbital boost ourselves. Um, and we also have the capability of carrying astronauts uh, into to the space station um, by SpaceX Dragon, and probably pretty soon with Boeing Starliner. Uh, so um, the Russians pulling away ultimately, I don't think would have much effect, except they would leave four empty uh, modules behind, and we would hope that all they would do would be turn the lights out before they left. The Russian Space Agency plans to tell President Putin its stance on working with the West and the International Space Station soon. What do we expect here? Well, I, I can already see that um, that the, they've been softening their comments quite a lot. It is um, uh, terribly to the disadvantage of the Russians in the space business to pull away from the International Space Station. It's about the only positive thing that they're doing on the world stage right now. So I think they're gonna go in and say, well, we wanna, we wanna stay on the International Space Station and um, because of the optics of it, if nothing else. Uh, on our side, on the NASA side, and the European and the Japanese and the Canadian side, we have to be very careful about the optics because of what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. I don't think that we can be seen uh, to be the big buddies of the Russians right now. So I think uh, principally we'll continue the International Space Station, but it will be at a very, very professional level only. Just ahead, we ask, is routine screening good for detecting suicidal thoughts in kids and preventing suicide? An expert panel says there's not enough evidence so far to recommend screenings like these. Actor Johnny Depp opens a libel case against Amber Heard. She's an actress and his ex-wife. He says her actions affected his career. All that and more here on NTD News. Three former Minneapolis police officers convicted of violating George Floyd's civil rights have rejected a plea deal in a state trial. The former officers are charged with aiding and abetting both manslaughter and murder. 
Former officers Tutal, Thomas Lane, and J. Alexander King are accused of depriving Floyd of medical care. Tao and Lane were also charged with failing to intervene when former officer Derek Chauvin pressed his knee into George Floyd's neck. King knelt on Floyd's back, Lane held his legs, and Tao kept bystanders back. The officers are expected to face state trial in mid-June. The lead prosecutor in the case said all three former officers were offered identical plea deals. He did not elaborate on the details of the plea offers in open court. Lane's attorney said it was hard for the defense to negotiate when they still don't know what their federal sentences will be. All three former officers remain free on bail. Conviction of a federal civil rights violation that results in death is punishable by life in prison or even death. But those kinds of sentences are extremely rare. Police on New York's Long Island are hoping to crack a decade-old string of unsolved murders. They released surveillance video showing one of the victims on the day she met her killer. Suffolk County Police say Megan Waterman was staying at a nearby Holiday Inn Express the night she disappeared in June 2010. Later that year, her body was found near Gilgo Beach on the south shore of New York's Long Island. Eleven murders are being investigated. Seven bodies, including Waterman's, were found along a less than three-mile span of Oceanfront Highway between 1996 and 2011, and a killer has not been identified. Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison took the step of releasing the video from evidence. He says he hopes that someone who was in the hotel between June 4th and 6th of 2010 would recognize her and come forward with new information. While there is no audio on these recordings, we hope that anyone who may have been in the area that night or may have seen any of the individuals depicted in these videos will reach out to our Crime Stoppers hotline, 1-800-220-TIPS. Harrison also announced that the reward for any information leading to an arrest has doubled from $25,000 to $50,000. Police have made the full videos available at gilgonews.com. Los Angeles Unified School District is facing a shortage of about 400 teachers. District officials have announced plans to fill those positions temporarily with administrators and other district staff. The school district's superintendent says he plans to fill the vacant teaching positions by drawing from a pool of about 3,000 administrators, intervention specialists, and other staff working in the district's office until the end of the school year. This comes after a March report found a total of 10,000 staff vacancies throughout the district. Each school experienced 12 vacancies on average. To fill the vacancies, the district has hired over 2,000 new teachers this school year, but only 26% of them are fully credentialed by the state. The rest are teaching while earning their credentials through an internship program. A teacher who taught in the district for 24 years spoke to the Epic Times. She said that many teachers have left or are leaving because they are stressed out and say the strict COVID-19 pandemic protocols have made the situation worse. An influential panel of primary care doctors and other experts is raising doubts about routine suicide screening for children and teenagers. This comes amid reports that kids' and teens' mental health has suffered during the pandemic. Here are the details. In draft guidance posted online, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force says there's not enough evidence to recommend routinely screening kids who show no obvious signs of being suicidal. 
The guidelines are for prevention services in primary care settings. So at this time, we just don't have very much research that has looked at the use of screening tools to screen for suicide risk in young people who don't have signs and symptoms. And we are calling for research in this area. The document is open for public comment until May 9th, and opposing voices are already weighing in. Nicole Ball is a mother in Indiana who lost her 12-year-old daughter to suicide this year. Rio did die by suicide late on a Sunday night, which from what we've looked into, that's for her age and for her reasonings. Sunday nights are usually the time to go because they don't want to go back to school or back into whatever it is that they're dealing with. The mother says she believes screenings could be helpful. We can't get lost in the what ifs and the could have, would have, should haves. We can't or we'll lose ourselves. But moving forward, I think that the screening could be extremely beneficial in situations like this. So that you don't get to this point. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people 10 to 24 years of age in the U.S. And multiple reports suggest kids' mental health has suffered during the pandemic. Lawyers for Hollywood star Johnny Depp on Tuesday gave a jury an overview of his U.S. defamation case against his ex-wife Amber Heard. This is the latest chapter in a long-running legal fight between the two Hollywood stars. And when, like Mr. Depp, your career depends upon your image and your reputation, or whether movie producers want their films associated with you, that harm can be particularly devastating. Lawyers for actors Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard faced off in a Virginia court on Tuesday. In opening arguments of a defamation trial, an attorney for Depp accused Heard of fabricating domestic violence claims against the Hollywood star. Ms. Heard is going to tell you a lot of things about him. That he abused drugs and alcohol. That he used bad offensive language. And it's true that Mr. Depp has had real struggles with substance abuse in his life. He's not denying that. But struggling with drugs and alcohol doesn't make you an abuser. Depp has sued Heard for $50 million, alleging she devastated his career when she wrote an opinion piece in 2018 in the Washington Post about being a survivor of domestic abuse. The article never mentioned Depp by name, but his lawyer Benjamin Chu told jurors that it was clear that Heard was referring to the film star. By choosing to lie about her husband for her own personal benefit, Amber Heard forever changed Mr. Depp's life and reputation. But a lawyer for Heard, J. Benjamin Rottenborn, said the actress was telling the truth about the abuse she endured and that the case is really about a narrow legal question, whether Heard's op-ed was free speech protected by the First Amendment. Mr. Depp's team is going to try to turn this case into a soap opera. Why? I'm not really sure because the evidence isn't pretty for Mr. Depp. It's not. You're gonna see who the real Johnny Depp is. Heard is known for her roles in Aquaman and Justice League. She has brought her own libel claim against Depp, saying he smeared her by calling her a liar. Her counterclaim, in which she is seeking $100 million in damages, will be decided as part of the trial. Amber's words. 
Just ahead, Georgia residents can now carry a concealed handgun in public without a license with some restrictions. This makes Georgia the 23rd state to pass such a law. South Dakota lawmakers vote to impeach the state's attorney general. In 2020, he hit and killed a man with his car. All that coming up on NTD News. Many people living in Georgia can now carry a concealed gun in public without a license. Governor Brian Kemp signed the Constitutional Carry Act into law Tuesday. It takes effect immediately. SB 319 makes sure that law-abiding Georgians, law-abiding Georgians, including our daughters and your family too, can protect themselves without having to have permission from your state government. The new state law allows any resident who is eligible for a concealed carry license to carry a concealed handgun without a permit. The bill does ban it for convicted felons or those facing felony charges, as well as residents who have been treated for mental health or substance abuse issues in the last five years. The law also bans guns in airports and secured government buildings. Georgia is now the 23rd state to no longer require a permit to carry concealed handguns in public. Two years after hitting and killing a man with his car, South Dakota's Attorney General, Republican Jason Ravsberg, is being impeached. State lawmakers made their decision Tuesday, and now Ravsberg faces a trial in the Senate. It all stems from that deadly accident in September 2020. Ravsberg initially told police he'd hit a deer, but found 55-year-old Joe Beaver's body the following morning when he went back to the scene of the crash. He only ended up getting charged with two misdemeanors and paid $1,000 in fines. He also spent no time in jail, never appeared in court, and stayed in office, even though the governor called for his resignation. The governor says the move to impeach was the right thing for the people of South Dakota and for Joe Beaver's family. According to a new study, dollar stores across the United States and Canada are selling products that contain a large number of toxic chemicals, including children's toys. The study focused on all of the leading dollar store retailers in the United States and Canada. Dollar Tree, Family Dollar, Dollar General, Five Below, and 99 cents only stores. In total, researchers found that more than half of the products screened had one or more chemicals of concern that are hazardous. This included canned goods, canned food goods, which contained toxic interior can coatings and microwave popcorn products, of which 100% of the contents tested positive for toxic coatings. More alarmingly, researchers discovered the presence of toxic metals, endocrine disruptors, and other harmful chemicals in children's toys at the stores. The study comes as the dollar store industry continues to rapidly expand. The vice president for investor relations at Dollar Tree, which also owns Family Dollar, told ENE News the store's products are tested to ensure compliance with all federal and state requirements and testing protocols are in place to check for regulated standards. Huge plumes of smoke were seen billowing from a wildfire in the mountains of Ruidoso in New Mexico. The wind-driven wildfire burned dozens of homes and triggered evacuations of schools and neighborhoods in the mountain resort town. Authorities say the fire has burned 150 houses and structures. 
Winds gusting at up to 90 miles per hour propelled flames through canyons filled with homes. The blaze, known as the McBride Fire, was one of around half a dozen wildfires burning in New Mexico and West Texas. The two areas have seen an early start to fire season as blazes quickly spread through grassland and forests that are suffering from severe to extreme drought. Up next, Taiwan is fighting to keep its chip technology secure from the Chinese regime and Chinese companies. Stay tuned for more after this short break. Taiwan is increasing its efforts to prevent Chinese companies from poaching talent and stealing chip secrets. Representatives for the Chinese regime denounced the move as a provocative smear. This week, Taiwan's premier called for the swift passage of revisions to those laws. Those laws mandate tougher punishments to prevent China from stealing its chip technology. The leader said the threat from the red supply chain needed an effective deterrence. Chips made by Taiwan are used in everything from fighter jets to mobile phones, and the government has long worried about Chinese efforts to copy that success. And those methods include economic espionage and taking away talented people. The Taiwan Affairs Office in Beijing says the island had, quote, intensified efforts to block cooperation. And it says Taiwan is ramping up confrontation across the strait and provoking trouble. Taiwan is home to semiconductor industry giant TSMC, and the island makes up 92% of the world's capacity to make advanced semiconductors. The country has what Beijing wants, and that is elite chip expertise. Philippine authorities are struggling to distribute aid to tens of thousands of displaced people. This after Typhoon Maggie triggered landslides in coastal provinces that left 56 dead and dozens missing. Please note this report contains content that some viewers may find disturbing. Footage from local broadcasting firm ABS-CBN showed search and rescue efforts in Bai Bai City where the majority of casualties were. A body of a victim was shown being transported using an excavator during rescue operations. More than 42,000 people were displaced and 200 injured when Maggie made landfall over the weekend. This is the first tropical cyclone to hit the Philippines this year. The storm has now dissipated, the State Weather Bureau said. The Philippines sees an average of 20 tropical storms annually. North Korea is destroying a golf course owned by South Korea. The location used to serve as a sign of joint cooperation between the two rivals. The South is urging the North to stop. The South and North once ran a joint tour program through the property. The golf course is also connected to a hotel that once welcomed an estimated 2 million South Korean visitors into North Korea and supplied the North with revenue. South Korea suspended the program in 2008 after a North Korean soldier killed a South Korean visitor at the property. The resort also holds other facilities owned by South Korea, like a spa and a building used for families who were separated by the Korean War to see each other. North Korean state media reported that a fire over the weekend destroyed some of the facilities and parts of a nearby forest. It's unknown whether the fire was an intentional part of North Korea's plan to tear down the location. Next up, Mexican drug cartels are paying for Colombian cocaine with high-powered guns instead of cash. 
Colombian authorities say this is making their country more dangerous. Archaeologists uncover the ruins of a concentration camp in Spain. They say it was used during the Spanish Civil War. Find out more here on NTD News. Mexican drug cartels appear to be shipping high-powered weapons to Colombia to purchase shipments of cocaine. This is a trade Colombian authorities say is fueling the deadly struggle between rival traffickers for control of the nation's drug routes. A dangerous trade, officials worry, is fueling violence in Colombia. Mexican drug cartels appear to be shipping high-powered weapons in exchange for shipments of cocaine from Colombian traffickers. A bevy of machine guns, assault rifles, and semi-automatic handguns are flowing into the South American country. A dozen Colombian law enforcement officials told Reuters, fueling the already deadly struggle between rival traffickers for control of Colombia's drug routes. General Fernando Murillo says paying coke suppliers with weapons rather than bulky cash helps Mexican cartels launder profits. Every day, conducting drug trafficking through cash payments gets more difficult. So now they are using different methods. A Mexican cartel might pay with sophisticated arms. The potent firepower of the cartel-supplied arsenal could have serious implications for Colombia's security. Heavy arms in the hands of criminals put law enforcement at risk and could further complicate the troubled implementation of a 2016 peace deal between the government and the rebels known as FARC. Last year, 148 members of the armed forces and the national police were killed in Colombia, according to figures from the Ministry of Defense, the highest figure in six years, and a 57 percent increase from 2020. A fortress wall that predates the Incas and that dates back as far as the 10th century collapsed in northern Peru. This happened on Monday amid heavy rains that have lashed the Andean country in recent days. An eyewitness video captured the moment the stone wall at the Quaylip settlement came crashing down. Peru's Ministry of Culture said the wall was about 50 feet long and 40 feet high. Settlement at Quaylip dates as far back as the 5th century, but researchers believe construction of the fortress took place between the 10th and 12th century. The area is about 600 miles north of Machu Picchu. The site is linked to the Chachapoyas culture, which was conquered by the Inca. Ruins of a Spanish concentration camp have been uncovered in a remote area northeast of Madrid. Archaeologists say it was used by the Franco regime after the Spanish Civil War. Weeds cover the remains of this newly discovered concentration camp, and the nearby barracks have been well preserved since the end of the Spanish Civil War in 1939. So the concentration camps that we are documenting now, that we are excavating, was originally the camp where these hard-working soldiers lived while they built the base for Franco's army. In 1936, Francisco Franco launched an uprising to overthrow Spain's democratically elected republic. The bloody war ended with more than half a million Spaniards dead and an equal number exiled. Nobody in the town imagined that in this concentration camp there could be up to 5,000 prisoners of war. You could see the remains, but not really the dimension and, above all, its relevance during these weeks and the end of the conflict. 
Franco's army held their captives here for a period of time. Overcrowded and underfed, the prisoners had to work in a nearby military base. There is almost no documentation of the more than 300 concentration camps that existed in Spain. A team of researchers from the Spanish National Research Council is excavating the site. Food scraps, cans, pieces of shoes. One of the most recognizable elements is the post of the barbed wire fence that was surrounding this entire concentration camp. Archaeologists have found fragments of mortars, bullets and tin cans from around the world. They are in fairly good condition and show that the Spanish Civil War was an international war. We see that Franco's army was very well supplied by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. And on the other hand, the Republican army had to resort to armaments, even transferred from the Mexican Revolution. There were weapons from Japan, from the Czech Republic. In other words, as is currently happening in the war in Ukraine, the availability of armament was crucial for the development of the war activity. To this day, more than 100,000 Spaniards are still buried in hundreds of unmarked mass graves all over the Iberian Peninsula. The European Space Agency has a new center for space safety in Germany. The new center is in Darmstadt town, the location of the European Space Operations Center. It will monitor satellite instruments recording space weather. That means phenomena occurring in space that affect the Earth, such as radiation or solar storms. The goal is to avert danger and provide security for the infrastructure in space. Solar storms in the past have caused damages to satellites or led to problems with technical equipment on Earth. The monitoring of space debris as well as the prediction of solar storms and related data are the main goals of the center. Furthermore, the center will provide security for space missions while also giving young engineers the opportunity to practice their skills. Just ahead, British actor Hugh Laurie brings his favorite Agatha Christie novel to the screen with a new television miniseries, Why Didn't They Ask Evans? More on that in just a minute here on NTD News. Universal Music is adding the song catalog of the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. This includes hits like Can't Help Falling in Love, and Jailhouse Rock. This comes under a publishing deal with Authentic Brand Group, which currently owns the rights to Elvis's catalog. Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed. Universal Music Publishing Group said yesterday it would approve and collect venue revenue when Elvis's songs are used in media, films, or television. The deal comes as music companies look to boost royalties by purchasing artists' catalogs after the pandemic delayed release of new recordings. And the deal also comes ahead of director Baz Luhrmann's movie Elvis, which is set to release in June. It will be a biopic of the singer starring Tom Hanks and Austin Butler. Presley is widely acclaimed as the best-selling solo music artist of all time. He sold more than 500 million records and holds the distinction for most songs charting on Billboard's Top 40 with 114 hits. British actor Hugh Laurie may be best known for playing an eccentric doctor in the TV series House. Now he's bringing what he says is his favorite Agatha Christie novel to the screen with the new television miniseries, Why Don't They Ask Evans? And today's Andrew Thomas has more. 
Hugh Laurie not only adapted the novel to the screen, the British actor also directed the three-part show and stars in it. Yes. Were there words exchanged? I think they ask I would say that the novel had been a passion of mine uh, for a long time. It was my fa it's my favorite Agatha Christie. Um, but I did I can't I can't say that I had a burning desire to put it on screen because it's been on screen in different iterations, actually more times than I realized. I thought it'd been once. I think it's three or four. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Why Didn't They Ask Evans is a murder mystery and was first published in the United Kingdom in 1934. Set in Wales, London, and Hampshire, it centers around the affable Bobby Jones, played by Will Poulter. He finds a dying man near the cliffs of his seaside hometown. The stranger is only able to utter the puzzling question of the title before he dies. Together with his childhood friend, Lady Frances Frankie Derwent, played by Lucy Boynton, Bobby Jones sets out to solve the mystery. Laurie said he wanted to stay loyal to the source material while making the show. There's a snappy, almost American kind of style to it um, uh, that I I think she was going for. I mean, who, who am I to presume what Agatha Christie was trying to do? Uh, but it's something that I felt was in the book and, and I felt it was a very precious thing to, to try and preserve. Actor Will Poulter, who previously starred in Dopesick and The Revenant, relished in the chance to take on the lead role of Bobby Jones. On the whole, it's a, it, it, this project really has its heart in the right place. And I think, um, you know, there's a real appetite for, for that sort of thing at the, the moment. I'm not going to hurt you. I want to help. Can you believe her? Yes, I believe her. Pretty. She's frightened. She's pretty frightened. Why Didn't They Ask Evans starts streaming on BritBox in the United States, UK, Canada, and South Africa on April 12th. An orphaned and emaciated mountain lion cub was spotted by hikers in the San Francisco area. The cub was brought to the Oakland Zoo, where veterinarians have named her Rose and are trying to nurse her back to health. This little girl's name is Rose. She's only about four to five months old, but she's already a little fighter. As you can see, she's really skinny, and she's got to the Oakland Zoo in the nick of time. Rose was initially spotted by hikers in a preserve in San Mateo, and they noticed she was all by herself and looked really unhealthy. It took some time for wildlife biologists to track her down, but they finally caught up to her and brought her in Sunday and it's a good thing they did. She's extremely emaciated, and she was also dehydrated and covered in fleas and ticks. But the folks at Oakland Zoo say she's got a feisty spirit and an obvious will to live, so they're guardedly optimistic little Rose will blossom. If all goes well with Rose's recovery over the next few months, the zoo will work to find her a good home. Unfortunately, she won't be able to go back to the wild because she'll have missed out on the crucial time with her mom to learn how to survive on her own. Good news for people planning to get out into the fresh air this month. In honor of its namesake, Celebratory Week, all national parks are waiving their entrance fees on Saturday, April 16th. The National Park Foundation says National Park Week gives people a chance to discover the great outdoors. Camping fees are still in effect for those who want to stay overnight. There are three other National Park Days later this year. There are August 4th, which is the anniversary of the Great American Outdoors Act, 
September 24th, National Public Lands Day, and Veterans Day, which falls on November 11th. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Thank you.